Welcome to today's podcast by Preacher, as he provides sound teaching on the pure and undiluted truth of God's Word, with life application that inspires you to live a holy life pleasing to God. We pray that these teachings will inspire you to live out your faith daily with confidence, be assured of your salvation in Christ, and God's unconditional love for you. From the book of John, the second chapter... And beginning with the first verse. Two days later, there was a wedding in the town of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When all the wine had been drunk, Jesus' mother said to him, They're out of wine. You must not tell me what to do, woman, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. Jesus' mother then told the servants, Do whatever he tells you. The Jews have religious rules about washing. And for this purpose, six stone water jars were there, each one large enough to hold between 20 and 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill these jars with water. They filled them to the brim. And then he told them, Now draw some water out and take it to the man in charge of the feast. They took it to him, and he tasted the water, which had turned into wine. He did not know where this wine had come from, but the servants who had drawn out the water knew. So he called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone else serves the best wine first, and after the guests have drunk a lot, he serves the ordinary wine. But you have kept the best wine until now. God help us to understand what John is trying to tell us about a way to live today. At this moment, this sermon of mine sort of reminds me of an old car that we once owned. Basically, it was a good car. But I remember one day that I take this old car out to go somewhere, which I've forgotten now, but not the incident that happened. About three or four blocks from the house, the thing broke down, and so I had someone to shove it back to the house, and I got my tools out and put my mind to work and went and got the part, and was a master mechanic and put the thing back together again. And I thought, now this is really a master's job. So I jumped in the old car and took off again and it went one block further and broke down again. Now, I think this sermon somewhere out there in the drive-in broke down this morning. To me, it just didn't come out the way that I wanted it to. And so I took it in the office there and tried to overhaul it again. Let's see if I can get another block out of it this morning. <laughs> if you'll pray for me, maybe we can. Now, dear friends, let me say to you that you remember last Sunday that we talked about a wedding. And in preparation for that sermon last Sunday, I read, of course, all the things that had to do with that, or tried to, not all of them, but to some degree, and read this scripture. And I was astounded by what I saw here this last time that I read it. It hit me with such an impact that I wanted to share it with you this morning. Because John is not just telling us a story. You see, at this time in John's life, now, he has lived a long life, and it comes a time when he was writing this gospel, in all probability he had already reached 70 years of age, and for that to be that old in that day was rather old. Now, he has reached a time within his life where he's able to look back across life, and he's able to see some important things that maybe he had overlooked, and he had wisdom uh, that had been beat out on the time of life, you know, and he could see it so clearly now. And this is precisely what I see John 
as he pens this scripture and this incident in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he uses the situation to convey his message, this happening with him and the Lord Jesus Christ, the time that he was invited to go to a wedding feast. And what a feast that was. It lasted at least seven days and sometimes even longer than that. And it was a great occasion and it was a great party. And many things took place there in that party because it was a social type of a situation and because of the custom of their society. But let us not get lost in the details of what went on there. And let us see what John is telling us about life right where you are. Now, let me approach the situation in this way. And hopefully that it will make sense to you. At least stimulate your thinking enough that you will consider it as being something that you can use right where you are to fulfill your life more perfectly than you have it at this very moment. Because, you see, as John was contemplating and thinking about what Jesus really did and, and its significance and its meaning, I want to tell you this morning that what I see here, I may not be able to communicate it to you, but what I see with my heart and my soul is the message that your soul needs today in order that it might be able to be free to fulfill that destiny that God has carved out for you in this world and in the life that is yet to be. Now that's how important it is. And so we pick up our story where they were here at this wedding feast and there was a situation that had developed that was, of course we've lost track of it because it would mean too much to us today because our friends and and loved ones comes to our wedding, if we run out of cake, well, we tell them, well, you'll have to wait till the next time around, you know. <laughs> we just don't worry about that. But back in those days, it'd be a major catastrophe uh, for the bridegroom and for the host to run out uh, of uh, something to eat, especially wine. And so here this pressure was building, and, and this is the way it develops. And let me call to your attention in this way. You see, Mary was there. And John says she was aware of the situation. She was aware of the need. She was aware of the need uh, that this family had. Is it not so that, certainly is in my life, too much so, many times, that I have been connected with those people who have been in serious trouble, and they are going through the strain of their soul and their heart, and for a great degree to be oblivious to the fact that they're in great distress. How many of us are really aware of those people that live around us, that we associate with every day, that we work with, that we go to school with, uh, that we're in church with? Does it not sometimes shock us to know that here's someone that's been in great trouble and difficult things have happened to them, and we wake up and say, well, oh, I didn't know. It seems to me that the first thing that we're called to be aware of as Christians to follow the Lord Jesus Christ as be aware of the situation that you and I are in today and those people who are around about us. If we say that we want to be a loving church, and of course we do, and we want to be a loving person, how can we be unless we become aware of those who are around us and their needs? Secondly, she knew that Christ would be concerned. You mean to tell me the Lord Jesus Christ would be concerned about a wedding party uh, where someone was going to run out of refreshment? And that's precisely 
what the story tells us. But John is telling us something greater than that. He is telling us that anything that distresses you, anything, literally, anything that puts you under pressure and that distresses you, that this God that you and I know as the Lord Jesus Christ is concerned about it. Nothing is too small to take to him. I don't care what it is. That which you lay awake at night and worry about, don't you know your Savior is concerned about that too? And in effect, that's what he was saying to Mary. Don't look at the harshness of the situation as such a way it's translated. What Jesus was really trying to say was that he too was aware of the situation. He always is. You name his name. You say that you belong to him. What do you think that means? That he dismisses you after you commit yourself to him? Or is he, as he pictures God's hand saying that you are in the hand of God and no one is able to pluck you out of my father's hand because my father gave you to me. Oh, you see, we talk a great religion. We don't go and practice it too well in a way of being at peace and at ease, but you are in the sight of God. You see, she knew that the Lord Jesus Christ was going to be concerned. It's interesting to note also that she was not concerned with the how. He was going to help. Now, all she had to do was to tell those servants, now you do what he tells you to do. Now, that's the key to life, friend. If you brought out the rest of that story, if you get everything else I've said, you just remember what Mary told those servants because this is what needs to be said to the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ today, and that is this. Do what he tells you to do. Now, you see, she knew something. She knew that they were going to hesitate. She knew that he would probably suggest something to them to do that they wouldn't see any reality between that and what needed to be done. Now, dear friends, that is a fact. That's the way it happens today, you see. It's hard to see how this will line up with what needs to be done at this hour. She knew that they might question the situation and they might not follow through with it like they ought to. I remember that story in the Old Testament. It's one of my favorite. Old Nebuchadnezzar, the very epitome of power and strength and might in relation to God's people. And I remember he had them all walled up at one time and he was just about to destroy them. And an old prophet one day said the people were starving to death and they turned into cannibals. They were just eating anything and everything that was alive and could be eaten. It was a terrible situation. And an old prophet said tomorrow about this hour that we will have more flour and meal and food than we know what to do with. And one man there heard him say that and laughed at him. And he said, you remember what the scripture says? He said, that's right. He said, you're not going to enjoy this and you're not going to be a part of it because by this time tomorrow you're going to be dead, brother. You see? Now, if you had been God, and your people all hold up, what would you have done to deliver your people? Would you have called for another mighty army over here somewhere to come over and overrun Nebuchadnezzar and outdo them? You know, the thing that absolutely staggers my mind, look how easy it was for God to do. That old prophet didn't know what was going to happen. He just knew it was going to happen. God somehow, some way was going to open that gate and take care of the enemy and they were going to feast upon what the enemy had brought as their supplies. You know what God did? Such a simple thing. 
He caused the wind to start blowing sometime after the old prophet made the statement. And his army, Nebuchadnezzar's army, heard that wind. But they didn't hear the wind as a wind. They heard it as a marching army with chariots and horsemen and foot soldiers. And here they were coming. And they knew they were going to be overrun. And so they panicked and began to flee. And there was such a confusion that many of them killed one another trying to flee. The thing about it is, don't get lost in the story. What did God have to do? Is all he had to do is tell the wind to blow and for them to hear something that was really not there. Now, isn't that interesting? She was not bogged down into the how of the situation. She knew Jesus had some power because God had given it to him. And as all she had to say to those servants, and I wish I could say it as harshly to my own soul this morning, do what he tells you to do, regardless of how ridiculous it might sound to you. Now, secondly, it's a good thing that they were not like you and I today. You know, it's, it's just a good thing. I can see her now. You know, with this scientific mind that you and I have and with all the things that it's filled with and it would have been there that day, maybe the conversation would go something like this. She had said to the servants, well, now you do what he tells you to do. And so the Lord says now, of course, he wasn't the Lord to them. They didn't know too much about it. maybe the servants. He said that you filled up those water pots. Now there's a whole bunch of water pots there and they held between 20 and 30 gallons. And they were not used to drink out of. They were used for purification. That didn't mean that they were dirty or anything, but they were there water pots for another purpose. And so he tells one of the servants, say, now you fill that water pot up. You say, they're running out of wine. Fill the water pot up with water. You must be kidding. You must be out of your cotton-picking mind. And if you think I'm going to draw that water, now those of you who are not from the farm may not be appreciated this because you'd go home and turn on a spigot. But I remember days gone by, dear friends, when it was one of my responsibilities to draw the water for my family, especially on wash day. Hmm. And we didn't have all these fancy washers either, you know. And I remember going out to that old well house and have to crank out water up, let that bucket down and crank it back up, bucket after bucket after bucket. Well, they drew up 30 gallon. I must have drawn up 100 gallon, no, maybe 20 or 30. Well, anyway, I was just an awful chore to do that. It's one of the things I hated to do was to have to draw that water. I'd rather do anything, try to bribe my brothers and sisters. Nobody liked it. I had to do it because I was a little one at that time and the rest of them could whip up on me. So I had to do it, but to draw that water. Where do they get that water? This is ridiculous. You must be stupid to think that this is going to solve the problem because we fill up these pots that's used to, for purification, that that's going to take care of the situation at hand. Just do what he tells you to do. Go on, draw the water. Don't argue about the situation. Just draw the water and put it in the pot. Don't concern yourself as to how. Don't concern yourself as how God's going to deliver his people. Do what he tells you to do. I wonder about the Lord sometimes. I really do. You know, I see the Lord standing there when Peter was locked in prison. This sort of gets my mind, you know. Old Peter was locked away in prison. He sent the angel down. The angel went down, took care of the guards, took care of the locks on the door, went in, and then took care of waking up Peter. So it struck him. You know, the angel was pretty disgusted that time. He was supposed to be one out of prison. There he was sound asleep. Get up, you know. So he struck him. Maybe kicked him, I don't know. But listen to this. Now, the angel took care of everything but one thing. You know what the one thing was? 
Peter, put your shoes on. I wonder why the angel didn't put Peter's shoes on. It's always bothered me. I know why. It is with keeping with John's thought here. There are some things that God will do, and there are some things that he will not do, and if we don't do them, it will not be done. We are co-workers in the kingdom of God. Put your shoes on, Peter. I wonder what would have happened. He said, no, I'm not going to put them on. Oh, you get this scene. Here Jesus is standing before the tomb of Lazarus. Jesus had the awesome power to call him back to life, over death. I wonder why it is Jesus said, roll the stone away. When you know and I know full well that Jesus would only have had to spoken to that stone and it would more perfectly have served him than any human being upon the face of this earth. Because you see, nature always obeyed Jesus without dragging its feet. Only human beings do that. He could have said to the stone, roll away. The stone would have obeyed him immediately. But he didn't say it. He said to those that are with him, roll the stone away. Fill the pots up with water. Seems to be ridiculous. But you do it anyway. I think about that man by the name of Naaman. Over there in the Old Testament, a very great man, a very brilliant man. And he comes up with leprosy, that dreaded disease. And so he had captured a little maiden from Israel, and she told him about her prophet, God's man, over back in her home country. Now that could heal him of leprosy, and so he makes his way to God's prophet and to old Elisha. And old Elisha didn't come out to see him. He sent his servant out to Naaman, this great man on that beautiful Arabian horse. I can see him now. There in all their splendor, this great man of note, with all of his people around him, chariots, maybe 15 to 20 or 30 chariots, you know, they all scheme, he's a great man. And he thought Elisha was going to come out and lay his hand on him, pray over him, and old Elisha sent his servant out. He said, you go tell him to go over to the river Jordan there and bathe in it seven times, and he'll be healed of his leprosy. And it made Naaman so mad that he jumped in his chariot and whipped up his horses and headed back from which he came. And his servant was smarter than he was. And he said, look, if this man had told you something difficult to do, you would have done it. He told you a simple thing to do, to bathe in Jordan. He said, well, if I wanted to bathe in a river, I'd bathe in my own instead of that muddy Jordan. And so the servant spoke up again. And so finally the result of it was Naaman came back and bathed in the Jordan. And he was healed. Now, isn't that interesting? could have been done another way. But there was something that he could do and something that he had to do in order for the miracle of God to take place. Friend, that's no different from you and I today. The laws of God are the same back there then, and they're the same today. They haven't changed one bit. How can I convince people of the fact that it is here, that doing the simple things that God has called you to do that will make the difference within your life? Such a simple thing as drawing water, where we have more water than we have anything else. The Ohio River's running full of it. Well, maybe a little polluted, but we got it. Water. Simple things. What is it that God is asking you to do? That you see no connection between that and what you would like to have. What a tragedy. I am thinking of two people. Two young couples. One of them I tried to convince, because they were in trouble and having difficulty, and she was so emotionally and mentally upset that she hardly knew where she was. I said, there's help for you within the church, but you've got to be faithful to it. You've got to be committed to it. You've got to be committed to God's people. You've got to be honest and sincere. And you've got to become a part of God's people. And we can help you. 
And he questioned, how can you help me? Do you have the wisdom and the understanding to be able to no. But I know that somehow, some way, my God will help you. And so he couldn't see it. And so they went on their way and she continued her breakdown until she was completely, totally incapacitated. Now there was another couple, not too long before that. And this man, been years ago, this man, his little wife, and I think it was two children, I've forgotten now, two or three, and he was out of work and been out of work for a long while and he was losing everything. Couldn't find work, couldn't find anything to do. And so faithfulness to the church, I don't know how. I haven't wisdom enough to tell you what to do, but somehow, some way with God, being faithful to him, listening to him, being faithful, and do what he tells you to do, regardless of how stupid, how dumb it might be. And I remember this man saying, well, after he'd been out of work for a while, he says, I only have $300 left of all the savings. It's gone. All of it's gone. He said, but you know, he says, I am quite capable with a hammer, nail, and saw. He said, I could really be a good carpenter. You know what that guy did? He went out and bought him a lot. You could buy a lot way back then for about $100. Well, he bought a lot and spent the rest of that money to build a house. He built that house and sold it. Built another one and sold it. And out here in the south end of Lowe, that young couple became a multimillionaire. Most of the houses built between Berry Boulevard and Taylor Boulevard and 7th Street is where that man got his start. I don't know how God's going to do it. I know that there's an answer, whatever your need might be. John is saying that God is concerned, Jesus is interested, and he will help you if you will do what he tells you to do, regardless of how stupid it might sound to you. You have lived a lifetime doing it your way. Why don't you listen to him? How can I convince people? Oh, I'd be a brother preacher if you'd tell me how I can convince people after they have worked hard all week long to take time out to be faithful to God and to his people and wait upon him faithfully in a church service. How can I convince people after they have worked so hard to make a living, to take part of that money that they have labored and worked for and committed to Christ. That's what he's asked us to do. How can I convince people that if you will play fair with God and give to him what he has asked of you to give, that somehow, some way, I believe it, the windows of heaven will be open to you and there will come blessings that will fall upon you, heaped up, pressed down, and there will be no way that you can sustain them all. My friend, that's what John is saying about life. Right where you are. Somehow, I don't know what he's saying to you, but I know he's saying something to you. Do what he tells you to do. If it be as dumb as drawing water. You know, I can hear one of these servants say, Oh, I want to be out there where people are really doing something. I don't want to be here drawing this dumb water. I want to be out there where the real party is. Draw the water. Draw the water. In due time, my friend, in due time. And when they tucked the water that had been turned wine uh, to the master of the party, he said, this is amazing. This is fantastic. You see, we think our resources are going to run out. You think your resources are going to run out. Well, committed one to the Lord Jesus Christ, let me say to you that you are tied to the kingdom of God. And everything upon the face of this earth above 
below, beyond, the universe belongs to him. He knows exactly what to do, where to touch you, who to touch, how to touch it, in order that your life might be fulfilled precisely the way that he wants it fulfilled. Precisely. It's a matter of you being faithful to what he has called you to do. With the Lord Jesus Christ, life is to be lived in an expectant way. It is to be lived excitingly. It is to be lived with enthusiasm. It is to be lived in a way that will bring fulfillment to your life at this very hour. Do what he tells you to do. And dear friends, I will guarantee you, I will guarantee you, check the citadel of your own heart and soul. Check it. See what it is that he's saying to you. And if you will do what he tells you to do, I will guarantee you that you will have the time of your life. That's what John is trying to tell us. I hope you heard it. Our Father, may we truly hear it. For our own sake, amen. Thanks for listening. Hope you were blessed. We pray the Holy Spirit will make you a doer of his words, finishing the work he started in making you more like Christ for the transformation of this world and preparation for heaven. 